You're listening to Language Nerds Do Earth, the podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now, it's time for your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain, it's Patrice and Rachel. number 16 and this one we are going to be talking about some of the changes that have gone on in English and a little bit why it is such a mix of different things yeah this episode is gonna be language nerd heavy guys uh (laughs) (laughs) we were totally nerding out about this one so Mm -hmm. We're going to start out with a discussion of English's evolution from when the Anglo-Saxons first colonized southern Britain all the way to modern day. And then we're going to talk about modern day changes that we're witnessing right now in English. Yeah. And this is going to be a pretty broad overview, but this is going to be part of a series for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Once we started on this topic, it was really hard to stop, so (laughs) this should probably be English's evolution part one or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Good, and then we'll get to our lost in translation moment. Yeah, but first, we have some language news. Mm. This week in language news, I want to talk about Romanche. What is Romanche, Rachel? So it is one of the official languages in Switzerland, which has four official languages. Mm Mm-hmm. The other ones are French and Italian and German. Mm -hmm. And you might not have known that it was the fourth language. And actually less than half a percent of Swiss can speak Romanche. Yeah. Although Swiss people are really proud of Romanche because it is specifically a Swiss language. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's just not very widely spoken and we're going to kind of get into that. Yeah. So Romanche is a Romance language. It comes from when the Romans conquered present-day Graubünden, mm-hmm. which is where Romanche is spoken today. And so they believe that it originated actually in 15 BC. And today it only has 60,000 native speakers. Yeah. I've actually met a few speakers of Romanche. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. In Switzerland. Super interesting. I guess they also spoke German, though. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, we do have a little clip of Romanche. Mm-hmm. And so just I'll tell you what he said first from YouTube that we'll link to. This is a little clip from a guy who likes to go around the world and find rare languages and listen to them. So he talked to a man in Switzerland and the translation is, I live in Zameden, I'm retired, and the last 30 years I've worked in insurance. I'm a guide for St. Moritz in Injadin, I think that's the pronunciation, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy to live in Injadin, Injadin, a fine land. It's a special place all year, in winter with the snow, in summer the beautiful flowers. Injadin is always a pleasant place to visit, come and see. Thank you very much. So, let's take a little listen to that. I stum a Samaritan, I stum pensiono, durant mias ultims trentanse vendias jurences, was a fecci la guida per la destinazione Samoretsa in Gedina, 
e sono felice e contento di poter vivere qui in Engiadina, Engiadina, Terra Fina, Mincia di Occalciosa Speciale, in Viern, con la Naif, in Stedt, con la Bella Flora, l'Engiadina è una luce che è da admirare e ci conviene di niente. Grazie felice. So you can really hear the romance heritage in that, yeah? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially the beautiful flowers. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Con la bella flora, I think he said. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely helpful, I think, reading the translation. But mm-hmm. I think if I hadn't been reading, I would have understood some things like terra, mm-hmm. finia, and stuff like that. Yeah, and there were also some German references in there as well. Oh yeah? Yeah, he said... um. I stamm, or I stimm in Sameden. I'm from Sameden, which in German, uh, ich stamme aus. Mm. Ich stamme aus, that place. So yeah, it's kind of a pretty... I, I like it. I like the kind of... It's a very light language, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's really beautiful. And actually, it reminds me a lot of Latin. Mm-hmm. I mean, from what I've heard of spoken Latin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's actually a combination of the vulgar Latin spoken by Roman soldiers and colonists mm-hmm. and Ration, which was the language of the native people in that area when they colonized it. Mm. Which actually reminded me of in episode three when we talked about pigeon and creole. Yeah. So if you want to go back to episode three, we talked about how languages develop from a combination of two different ones. And the first combination is called a pigeon. And then when the pigeon is taught to the kids, the pigeon becomes a creole and the children establish like grammar rules just Mm -hmm. naturally, which is just really cool. Yeah, it's so fascinating. What I liked was that the Swiss seem to be very keen on preserving the language. Mm -hmm. It said that in 1938, more than 90% of the country voted to make Romansh one of the official national languages. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... That shows pretty good hopes for, you know, speaking it in the future. Right. Right. And actually, it's an interesting phenomenon. During the globalization trend when it was starting, Mm -hmm. everybody wanted to sound like each other. Yeah. But this article talks about how now there's more of a movement to kind of be different and be local. Mm. And so people are starting to preserve the language more through technology, like, you know, memorize the language learning app. They actually have Romance as an option to learn. Oh, cool. Yeah, and people are, like, using modern technology to preserve the language, like connecting on social media and and the translation apps and language learning apps. So it's really cool. That's awesome. But the weird thing about Romance is that there are actually five very distinct dialects because... Switzerland is so hilly. (laughs) (laughs) That's putting it mildly. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's got some rolling hills. People who spoke the language originally got separated from each other and developed their own dialects. And, uh, I mean, this was before printing standards, which we're going to get to when we start talking about English. But then they developed their own writing systems and spelling And so there are still five very distinct dialects of Romance, Hmm. which is crazy because it's such a small language. Yeah. So in 1982, a linguist actually developed an artificial unified version of the language, but Romance speakers do not want to give up their uniqueness, their dialects. I can imagine. 
Yeah, yeah. So even though, like, in the region, the artificial Romansh is an administrative language, people still don't necessarily try to learn that. They want to pass their language and culture onto their kids. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like, getting jazz talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a really good... I think, introduction and segue into our main topic. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about the timeline first and what happened to make English the way that it is. Mm -hmm. So we're going to classify Old English as starting around 450 AD. Yes. That's like the official start date. And that came around with the arrival of different West Germanic settlers so the mm-hmm. Angles, the Saxons, and the Jutes, whose languages are quite similar to modern German, Dutch, and Frisian. Yeah, Frisian, I think. Frisian, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you might have heard the term Anglo-Saxon, mm-hmm. and Anglo-Saxon is another word for Old English. Mm, okay. So Old English, a lot of words that we already have come from this time, mm-hmm. like heart comes from hörte. And come from Kuman and old from Eld, and those are very similar to modern day German words as well. Heart is hot, come is common, and old is Eld. Mm-hmm. And then also we get grammatical features from this time, such as drink, drank, and drunk. In German, it's trinken, trank, getrunken, which is very similar. So that was kind of the beginning. And then the Romans came and they brought Latin. Mm-hmm. And along with Latin, they also brought their alphabet. Yeah, they brought their alphabet and they brought Christianity, which both really impacted vocabulary and writing. Yeah, that's really true. So Old English was mostly written using the Latin alphabet. Yeah. With some sounds that didn't exist in the Latin alphabet being supplemented. So like the lowercase b and p, it's like a combination, right? Yeah, yeah. It looks like the combination of a lowercase b and p, like a like right. a circle to the right of a long line, basically. Yeah, and it was pronounced th or th. Like a th. Like a th sound, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow that got changed into a y, which you can see in... This is really interesting. I have always heard this pronounced and always pronounced it myself as ye old tea shop. Yeah, me too. But it would be the old tea shop, right? Yeah, exactly. I know that really blew my mind. Like it was never ye old tea shop. I know. I <laughs> But that's so cool. It's funny. Yeah, reading it, you know, with our modern pronunciation, mm-hmm. it Obviously, it looks like ye, but it is, in fact, the fun <laughs> fact of the day. That is really fun. <laughs> uh, and actually, if you've heard Beowulf, it's a really good example of this kind of English. So we have another little voice clip for you. It's the introduction of Beowulf. So let's kind of listen to what that sounds like, old, old English. So Beowulf is from... They think it was written sometime between 975 and 1025 AD, so about a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's give a listen to Beowulf. What way gar dena in yar dagum feud kuninga thrim ye frunon, hutha athalingus elen fremidon? 
oft shield shaving, shad and a threatum, monegum maig thum meru settle oftea, egg so de erolas, sooth an arist word, fashion. You can kind of hear the KN uh-huh, yeah. sound, the KNA, mm-hmm. which we'll see was later simplified. The sound of it was later simplified mm-hmm. to what we know as NA, mm-hmm. like knee or night. Right. But they still use it in German. Like Kneipe mm-hmm. is bar and Knicht is night. It's yeah. Kind of cool. And in Old English, it would have been pronounced with a Kna as well. Right. So. And yeah. another remnant of German that you see in Old English is, okay, so an infinitive verb is something like to find, to see, to come. Mm-hmm. And in German, you say find is finden, F-I-N-D-E-N. And in Old English, we did the same thing. It was to find was finden. Mm-hmm. And then they also converted verbs the same way. In the third person singular, at least, they added an E to the end of the verb. This one is talking about the endings. Yeah, it's using mm-hmm. wollte gumann finden. He wanted to right. find the man. And in this case, wollte would be the... Wollte is a third person singular verb. Subject. Right, right. So that's the subject. Mm-hmm. In German, it would be wollte. It's almost the same, actually. Okay. So yeah, the third person singular was conjugated the same way as it is in German today. Mm-hmm. And also the object is designated similarly with the N at the end. It's a direct object, so it's got a case there. Right. And the, as you said already before, mm-hmm. finden is the infinitive yeah. to find, right, as we exactly. would say now. So yeah, it's really cool that you can see the German roots and why why you have the German roots there, because of those less Germanic settlers. Yeah, and Latin also conjugates in a similar way, with an ending like that. So for the infinitive form yeah. as well, like it conjugates with an ending instead of... In modern English, we don't have the ending, so mm-hmm. it's to plus right. the verb. Yeah, and then you can see Latin also in modern day romance languages and for that reason. You have E-R-A-R-I-R in Spanish, encontrar, in, mm-hmm. if we're sticking with the same verb. And then French, French, mm-hmm. it's R-E often, right? Or E-R-E, or mm. there are a few different ones, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it is in French, but it's it must work in a similar way. Yeah, and definitely with Italian as well. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah, I think in, in Italian it's almost the same as Spanish. Are, ah, yeah, yeah. Ere and ire. That's right. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> also, around the 9th century, the Vikings were occupying parts of England, and they brought some words. So, for example, the word they. Mm-hmm. In Old English, it would have been he or hi. H-I-E. Hmm. I guess we don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) A lot of Viking vocabulary stuck around as well. Ah, that's so cool. So I think common words for things like sky and get as well come Hmm. from Old Norse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, speaking of Norse, we also read a really cool article on Icelandic and Mm -hmm. how it hasn't really changed for 800 years. And Icelandic people really pride themselves on a non-changing language. And people who are like in charge of the language development really try to make sure that it sticks to the Old Norse 
Yeah, and that was really interesting because they actively try to create new words that come from old Norse words. So, for example, podcast. That one was interesting. Like, they took two different roots of Norse words and put them together, and that's how they call podcast. So they actively try to discourage, I guess, borrowing from other languages because that's how Mm -hmm. the language changes a lot. Mm -hmm. I know in Spanish they use a lot of English words. Yeah. Yeah, in German they are calling it Denglish, like Deutsch is German and then plus English also because (laughs) they say say so many English words. Yeah, it's very fashionable at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorites in English loanword in Spanish is spoiler. Oh. Like for a TV show or a movie or something. Cool. And it's a spoiler. A spoiler. <laughs> and it's like, no me hagas un spoiler. Don't do me a spoiler. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to me. Yeah, it's used the same way, though, basically. Yeah. Except besides the different mm-hmm. grammatical usage. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Okay, so after the Vikings came, we're around 1100 AD, and this was the transition to Middle English. So Middle English is about 1100 to 1500. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is when we started seeing a lot of changes in the pronunciation of unstressed syllables. And that that resulted in a removal of the German-like grammar that we mentioned a minute ago. And people started compensating for the lack of these specific part-of-speech designations Mm -hmm. with more rigid structure. So that's when we started seeing English just go subject, verb, object, which is what we still do today. Right. And I, I think it's related to kind of all the different mix of peoples in the country at the time or in the land at the time so with that lot of different backgrounds and everything the pronunciation was um hard to maintain i guess right so that's why they as you said compensated for that yeah but then we also saw the norman conquest in 1066 so this is when france dominated the britons and mm-hmm. that resulted in extensive linguistic borrowing. So we started using a lot more French words, like pork, beef, and mutton come from French because it was to signify the consumption of the meat of animals eaten by usually the wealthier French speakers. Mm-hmm. I actually have a really... I don't know if this is true at all. I had a history teacher in high school tell us that the reason curse words sound more English and fan, like non-curse words are kind of more French. Like, uh, I'm trying to think, like fornication is uh-huh. a very like fornication, right? It's because of this time when the French had taken over the Britons and like the proper way to speak was using the French term for things. And then like uh-huh. you think of four letter words those were the British ways to say them, or the English like the ways to say speak, them. Like the common speak, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm, that makes sense. I'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so at the same time, when the French were in power, mm-hmm. um, they started changing the spelling of a lot of words as well. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to follow more of the French rules. Yeah. So, for example, queen 
they changed to Q U E E N, which mm-hmm. was C W C line. <laughs> is this right? A, a C with a Cercidia and an N? Uh, what is that called? C with the what? Cercidia, I think. Oh. Yeah, it's the C with the little hook at the bottom, basically. Yeah, the little squiggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never mm-hmm. seen that before either. Yeah, so I think I think that's it. And ice uh-huh. was spelled I with a what is that called? The little triangle the up arrow. Accent. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it. Mm-hmm. But that and an S. So they changed that to ice, I C E. So really, thank the French guys. Yeah. For all these terrible spelling rules. <laughs> but I mean, they changed it to the way it should be pronounced. In French, no. Right. Well, they changed it. Right, yeah, maybe the way it was pronounced in French, and at the time it was pronounced that way in English, I think. But then as we're going to see, like, spelling rules started to become set, but they wouldn't change with English pronunciation, I think. Mm-hmm. So. so a good example of Middle English is Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Yeah. And we'll play a little clip of that as well. Yeah. One that April with his sure suchter the drucht of march hath persed to the rota, and bother every vine in switch liqueur of which vertu engendered is the floor. One zephyr sack with his sweat a breath in spirit half in every halt and hath the tender acropis, and the younger sunna hath in the ram his halva corsi runna, and small of foulus makin a melodia that slap in all the nicked with open ear so pricket them nature and her courage. You can definitely, I'm starting to get a few more words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, in Beowulf it's not much. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one word every hundred. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one, yeah, a few more. And it does, it has sort of the lilt, I would say, of like German. Huh. Or maybe a Scandinavian language as well. Yeah, yeah. Like da 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 da. Yeah, the rhythm. Mhm, mhm. I think so. In the intonation, maybe. Um, but yeah, it was still difficult to understand. I didn't understand much. Yeah, I mean, I understood like non-helpful words like nt and and and, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, but it sounds really beautiful, actually. I agree. I agree. So, then we come to modern English. Modern English started with the introduction of printing, which led to the development of a standardized variety of language, which, I mean, if you look at old writings of Queen Elizabeth I and a lot of historical figures before this time, spelling is all over the place. There was no standardized step yeah. spelling, and people just wrote things the way they thought it sounded. Right, yeah, for sure. Which is really cool, actually, because it kind of gives you insight into the way it used to be pronounced. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the same is true about a lot of other languages as well. Like, the printing press was really essential in standardizing mm-hmm. all types of languages. So I think it was the same in Italian, in French, and I assume. Yeah. I remember Italian for sure. Makes sense. And it also chooses one kind of dialect or one way of speaking that is the correct one to be favored right. over all the other dialects. And yeah. It kind of makes you think, like, 
who said that this was the right way to spell and make Mm -hmm. punctuation and grammar rules? There's like a belief that, you know, there's only one correct way to speak English, but really this set of rules was kind of an arbitrary choice by the people Mm -hmm. who were printing things. And so what would have happened if it had been from the next town over or from the country over, you know? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we have in modern English the standardization of spelling, grammar, vocab, Mm -hmm. and also the Renaissance played a big part in vocabulary. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, (laughs) so people were becoming obsessed basically with ancient Greek and ancient Roman cultures, and so they were revisiting those. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our vocabulary comes from there, especially in scientific, in medicine. Yeah. And during the Renaissance, people were purposefully trying to add vocabulary to the language, whereas Mm -hmm. usually it's just like a natural process. But during the Renaissance, people were like, we need to do translations, we need to educate ourselves. And because of that, our vocabulary just kind of exploded. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was really interesting that they changed the spelling of some things to be more like the root. Yeah. So instead of how the word sounds in English, for example, the word debt, mm-hmm. it was spelled before D-E-T. Uh. But since it comes from the Latin um, debitus, they uh. added a B to say like, oh, we're fancy and like <sighs> we we know the etymology of this word. and. Ah. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, you can think, for the difficulty of spelling you had as a child, or if you're a foreign speaker that you've had learning English, you can thank the snobs of the Renaissance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, it's so funny because you go to other places and spelling bees are like, I mean, even within... Latin alphabet <laughs> countries, you know? Like, yeah. ex- except for, like, France. If you use the Latin alphabet, it's kind of, like, goofy to think, oh, we'll compete with each other on spelling, and we'll make, like, an entire thing out of it in grade school. That's <laughs> uh, so true. Yeah, because there are so many, because so many other languages are just phonetic, but English is, it's phonetic, but it's not that phonetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... There are so many words that if you had no idea how to spell them, you would spell them completely differently than they are actually spelled. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the argument that fish can be spelled G-H-O-T-I. Yes. Because, yeah, Yeah, like enough, the G-H from enough makes F, like an F Mm -hmm. sound. And the O is like in the word women, it sounds like I, so uh, G-H-O. And then T-I from, like, anything, information. Mm-hmm. A nation. Yeah, nation, communication. Yeah. It sounds like S-H, so that's why some linguist at some point was like, fish should be spelled G-H-O-T-I if we're going to keep up with these stupid <laughs> spelling rules. Yeah. <sighs> I also read that sometimes they changed the spelling to be what they thought the root was, but they were mistaken about the etymology. Oh, no way. So, for example, the word isle, I-S-L-E, 
was spelled before I-L-E. And that comes uh, from Latin insula. Uh, I guess Latin. Yeah. I guess it would be Latin. So they put an S Sounds in. Right. But the word island, I-S-L-A-N-D, does not come from that word. So that's Old English for Igland. How do you spell that? Igland. I-E-G-L-A-N-D. I'm trying to be really non-biased, but it makes me a little mad. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's really cool, but really, really annoying sometimes. Yeah, that one's interesting, though, because even though they're two different words, they're pretty similar in sound. And, I mean, they like the meaning isn't completely different from each other either, which is why it's so weird. Yeah. So that's funny. So, but, like, at the end of the article, I like what they said, you know, we need not fear change of language. Mm Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Like, this is just what happens in language. And and just embrace it <laughs> because it's kind of it's kind of beautiful. So if people start spelling night, N-I-T-E, you know what? It just makes sense. It doesn't have to – we don't have to, like, stick to our roots the whole time. And then later people will be like, wasn't it weird that they spelled night, N-I-G-H-T? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> or K-N-I-G-H-T. Right, right. Although in a certain sense, it is kind of cool to have these like remnants right. and that's true in our everyday language that we can maybe not necessarily understand. But like, for example, I've always wondered like, why, why is it spelled like that? But yeah, now I know. Yeah. Some things. <laughs> I'm really happy to know why. Yeah. <laughs> for example, for sure. can I, can I just say the word kernel? Like why? I, that is the weirdest one to me. L and R are never interchangeable. Yes. I read something about this, actually. You did? I did. Basically, they, the spelling is the French spelling, mm-hmm. but the pronunciation is the Italian pronunciation. Wow. So it's like a strange mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really weird. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Okay. I think that's a good amount of history when it comes to English. So that's a really good segue, Patrice, I think, into how English is changing now. And we can obviously talk about a lot of vocabulary that's coming into the language that's new, that we have to adapt to new technology or changes in that. But there are also a number of ways in which the grammar is changing. Yeah. That's really cool to be able to see it right before our eyes, too. Yeah. You read, like, every year the words that were added to the Merriam-Webster dictionary and, mm-hmm. like, selfie stick. and Yeah. It's so funny. So Rachel found this list with some examples of recent grammatical changes. It looks like it's kind of all over it from all over the world, which I appreciate. From English spoken in different native English-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. So the first one is, if you wanted to go to college or you wanted to go to university, you couldn't if you hadn't the money. Right. How does that sound to you? I'm not used to the special treatment of the verb to have. Right. Yeah. How would you say that? If you wanted to go to college or you wanted to go to university, you couldn't if you didn't have the money. Very good. (laughs) <laughs> that was my teacher mode. That, that was, was just teacher, like, Rachel. Take that part out. No, I like it. 
I'm gonna I wanna keep it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I was eliciting and then you gave me what I wanted and then I was giving you praise. So anyway. Um, yeah, so this is actually something that I often correct my students on. I say not necessarily that it's wrong, but it's not the more common use. Mm-hmm. So this is actually something that's changing in the other direction. So it's going out of fashion. Mm, okay. So in the past, the verbs be and have have a unique thing about them that they don't need an auxiliary verb. So the verb do. Mm-hmm. So you don't say like, do you be a person? Right. Or... <laughs> a weird example but yeah but most verbs you need the verb do Mm -hmm. do you like pizza yeah that was something that I always really had trouble teaching adult learners of ESL was you know like remember the word to do remember the word to do but I know that in the UK instead of I don't have they'll often say I haven't got right yeah so that option and the don't have are becoming a lot more common. So in the UK, yeah, I would say haven't got, but it's still like a helping verb. Right, good point, yeah. But to just have haven't as a negative Mm -hmm. alone, no, or in a question. Mm -hmm. Have you any money? Right. For example. So another way that we're seeing some changes is, this is the example sentence. I mean, the dress sense in this lot is wacky down here, and I'm so not used to it. Because in Rumford, we all used to, like, people my age used to follow a certain dress code. It all used to be, like, designer. So the (laughs) different part there is the so not. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm so not used to it. Right. That was so not funny. Right. And that one comes more from an American usage right it said i'm not used to it that's normal but to emphasize the state we're using the word so i'm so used to it like that's a newer construction and then adding in not is an even newer construction right exactly so the more traditional way to say it would be i'm not very used to it or i'm not used to it without putting the emphasis before the not yeah And then the next one we have is it's telling a story and the speaker says, and uh, when we get to the camp, it was a beautiful, one of the best camps I'd ever been to at Pontines. I was upstairs, fur, furthest chalet away, and I says to uh, Dorothy, I says, no, Dorothy, I can't walk down here every day and every night. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously that sounds a little odd. Um, Yeah, especially in my voice, I'm sure. (laughs) But this is what is known as the historic present. Mm -hmm. So obviously, we're not speaking in the present, we're telling a story in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're using something similar to the present. But to show that it's not the present, we add an S. So we gets to the camp. I says. Do you remember where this was from? I want to say like, South England. Uh-huh. And I mean, we do that a little bit in American English as well, but it's still according to 
our grammar rules, it still follows convention, but we tell stories in the present tense right. when we're referring to the past, like, and he goes, blah, 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 and I say, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. North England and Scotland, it looks like. Oh, okay. Uh, the historic present is quite common among older speakers. Mm-hmm. The immediacy of a pseudo-present tense leads to enliven the act of telling a story or relating a series of connected events in the past. Yeah. It remains widespread in North England and Scotland. Cool. So that one will probably be changing in the near future, I would say. Mm, it's possible. Since it's more popular with older speakers, mm-hmm. that probably means that the younger speakers aren't using it as much. Right. So another one that we have is telling a story in the past tense again. Mm-hmm. I got my torch, got down on my hands and knees, shone the torch into the gap, and as soon as it's seen the torch, it's come rushing out. <sighs> so, this is what's called the historic perfect. So, huh. uh, just to get a little wow. grammatically technical for a second, Yeah. the present perfect would be like, I have eaten, I have seen, uh-huh. I have come which usually refers to something that happened in the past without a specific time attached to it. And that's how I know you're a good ESL teacher, because <laughs> you can explain that. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, some life experience that you've had. Yeah. But here the speaker switches from the past simple, I got my torch, I got down, I shone the torch into the gap, and then for emphasis, switches to the present perfect, it's seen the torch, and it's come rushing out. So that's not a standard use. Well, especially because it's combined with the simple past. Right. Got my torch, got down on my hands and knees, shown the torch. That's really crazy. But I mean, it has seen the torch. Is But not in a specific moment in the past. Yeah, exactly. Which is indicated by the past simple. So we are talking about one specific moment in the past. So to change to the perfect is really just emphasizing that that's the more interesting part of the story. Okay. Yeah, and so it says that that is used among younger speakers in the UK, which also, similar to the historic present, is used to enliven storytelling also. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Another way that I've been seeing... I'm sure you've seen it too, the change of English, which I'm really kind of excited about, mm-hmm. is the verbification of nouns. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know why, but I think that's really cool how we see, like, people saying, I don't want to adult today, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, and I do it for fun because I'm playing with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, to Google something is is also... Of course, yeah. Like 10, 15 years ago... Google was not a verb, but pretty recently it became an official verb. To Skype yeah. as well. Yeah, to Skype, yeah. And, I mean, they've been doing that in German for a really long time, taking nouns and changing them into verbs just by adding an N, like we were talking about with the infinitive. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's happening in English, I don't know. I think that's kind of exciting that we're witnessing it, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years. Like, yeah. Definitely. I've seen a lot of articles that are like, ah, verbification, it's so not English. But you know what? Like we said, just embrace it. (laughs) Don't run away from it. (laughs) 
And I mean, I recently read that English has the biggest vocabulary or something like that. I believe that. Because of all the phonemes, which are basically prefixes and suffixes. So when I teach word building to my students, they are sometimes really frustrated because they're like, why are there two different adjectives that seem to have the same meaning but have a different meaning? Or Mm -hmm. why is there a verb of that? Or why is there a noun of that? Right. And like, for example, the root critic has, I don't Mm -hmm. know, 25 related words i believe it which is awful with the negative with the nouns that's crazy you can add nest to just about anything and make a a Mm -hmm. noun yeah it's pretty cool it adds a lot of versatility so we have another couple of ways that we see english changing very subtly one other article that i found was about four subtle changes that are happening in english that people hardly notice Mm mm-hmm And these consisted of pretty subtle things. For example, the verb like start or begin Mm -hmm. can take either the infinitive or the ing form, right? Yeah. They started to walk or they started walking. Right. So the ing form is becoming more common. So Mm -hmm. they started walking. And a lot of other emotion verbs as well began being more popular with ing. I like running. I hate sweeping. Yeah, so also other emotion verbs Mm. like like or hate or love have begun to be more common in the ing form as well. But also with other verbs, it has gone the other direction to the to form, the infinitive form. So verbs like stand or intend or cease. Mm. I intend to go. Mm. Intend for sure is two. Yeah. Cease seems like ing though. Oh yeah, he ceased. He ceased speaking instead of he ceased to speak. Or he ceased to speak. Right. Ooh, those both sound right actually. Yeah. Or stand. But to me, those have slightly different meaning. Like, I can't stand going going to the supermarket, or I can't stand to go to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. I think I would lean more towards the ING, but me too. I guess in overall... So they studied a lot of texts, a lot of written texts from like the last... I don't remember if it was the last 50 years or the last century, mm-hmm. but what they saw was a shift towards more presence of one or the other. Yeah, right. I can't believe we haven't even mentioned the great vowel shift. This... Oh my goodness. That has to be left, I think, for the next one. Yeah, that part two. two. Yeah. Yeah. That is some major interesting stuff. And... So another change that's happening is the progressive is getting more common. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying something like, I walk, you would say, I am walking. Right. But also in the passive and with modal verbs. So instead of saying it is held, you would say it is being held. Or instead of I should go, you would say I should be going. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So the increase of that use of the progressive. And to my ear, that sounds right. Because I would probably lean more towards the progressive of all of those as well. So would I. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. 
I don't know. For some mm-hmm. reason, it is being held. I should be going. I'm being serious. Those all sound maybe softer. Does that make sense? Like, okay. They sound like less direct. Like, mm, okay. um, like I should go. Sounds like, oh, uh, did I do something wrong? <laughs> Whereas yeah. I should be going puts more of the onus on me as the person who's leaving. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And same with like, oh, I'm serious or I'm I'm being serious. I don't know. For some reason I'm Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm serious has a lot more power maybe and I'm being serious like in this moment I'm being serious right yeah which that one's interesting too because technically what they say is that you shouldn't use state verbs so verbs like to be or to have right in some contexts to belong Mm -hmm. stuff like that you shouldn't use that in the progressive Mm -hmm. but we have started using the progressive a lot more yeah so things like I am being serious instead of I am I am serious or like McDonald's slogan I'm loving um, it I'm loving it yeah I love it you know that's super interesting I mean as an ESL teacher you teach the present progressive is used when you're doing something in the moment and mm-hmm. then so that's like I'm I I'm loving it as opposed to the simple present, which would be I love it, which is either a habitual or a constant thing, you know? Yeah, but the thing about love or like or hate or all those emotion verbs is that they are states. Right. It's not an action that you're doing. Yeah. But we're treating it more like an action. Yeah. Like, Mm. I'm liking, I'm liking crime novels a lot. Ah, yeah. Recently. What I'm doing, yeah. Yeah, I'm liking it recently. <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but like, you know, I would speak like that maybe. Maybe it's a result of capitalism even, you know, like trends or, hmm. Yeah. No, we're, we're really getting into this. I love it. <laughs> I'm loving this, Rachel. <laughs> I'm loving it too. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What's our, cool. What's another one? So we're starting to use more going to, have to, need to, and want to Mm -hmm. instead of other modal verbs that have the same meaning. Modal verb, for anyone listening who doesn't really know what that is, we teach ESL, so (laughs) we know a lot of terminology. (laughs) Uh But modal verbs are things like should or can that you don't conjugate afterwards, so you can't say I can going or I can Mm -hmm. went or something like that. Right, or I can goes... Or to can, either. No. <laughs> they stand alone and they don't change in time. Mm-hmm. Or they don't change for the person. So, going to, instead of will, as a modal. Yeah. Um, have to, instead of um, must. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Need to, instead of maybe should. And want to, instead of... I don't know, would like? Yeah. You know what? Here, I can definitely say that that is an American thing, at least as opposed to South African English. 
because okay. I've been spending a lot of time around some South Africans lately, and I notice they say, oh, you shall, you shall do this, or you must do this, instead of uh, you, you're going to do this, or, or um, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's been something that I'm always like, oh, shall, look, that's, that's so cute, you say shall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the article it mentions, I think, shall and ought to and... Yeah. One other one that are becoming less common, yeah. at least in American English. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I do like to use shall and ought to sometimes mm-hmm. for just a variety, but... Right, but you wouldn't... That's not your main go-to one, I guess. No. It's not mine either. Not. Yeah, should instead of ought to. Although, I think in... I don't know about in the UK, but I remember when I was in Germany, I talk to people who were learning English like in high school age and I remember they were learning the phrase ought to you ought to do this you mustn't do this mm-hmm. you shan't do this and I remember thinking wow that's super British and I mean mind you this was 10 years ago that I saw that so mm-hmm. I wonder if they're teaching the same stuff it usually takes a while for a major change like that to get to classrooms but, um, For sure. I mean, I teach must, mustn't. Oh, yeah? Yeah, all those modal verbs. That has to be more UK. Do you teach out of a, a British book? More British, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most of the books I use are British. Yeah. Interesting. And then I try to, like, you know, bring in, like, well, I might not say it like this mm-hmm. as an American, but you will be understood and you will be correct. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like rubber. My students, they learned the word rubber. And, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. For non-Americans, <laughs> for non-Americans, a rubber is not an eraser in American English. A rubber is usually a condom. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, a really funny one. Yeah. You hear like kids like, I need a rubber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or my first graders, they're like, what is in your backpack? <laughs> I have five rubbers. Oh my um, god. <laughs> anyway. That's so funny. So the last one that they mention is the get passive. Mm. So the normal passive is with the verb to be. So like he was fired, they were paid, etc. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to use more the get passive, which would be he got fired, they got paid. Mm-hmm. That's true. Which actually yeah, I would say that more, probably. That's... I never even noticed that. Like, I wouldn't say I was fired. I would say I got fired. Yeah, I got fired today. Huh. The got it's passive. So, yeah. But it's weird because I've never taught the get passive. Neither have I. I always teach the normal one. In but... fact, when I have taught the passive in the past, I'm sure that the word get never crossed my mind. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> only B. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, and actually the article said that this use of the passive was first seen like about 300 years ago. Yeah. And has been increasing recently in its use. Yeah, rapidly even. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's strongly associated with situations which are bad news for the subject. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that makes, makes sense. sense. But also situations that have some kind of benefit. They got promoted, the tourist got paid. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be interesting to see 
how much that increases. Like if it's used for just good and bad things now, what's something that I definitely... He was seen, for example, by a doctor. Like he got seen by right. a doctor. That one kind of could go either way. I wonder if that'll also start leaning toward get. Yeah, true. Or, you know, like the building was built in... 1900. Ah, yeah. The building got built in 1900. <laughs> that sounds, sounds terrible. <laughs> but maybe it won't be in another 50 years. Like, yeah, the building yeah. got built. <laughs> it got built. <laughs> there's such there's so much action to that, yeah? Like, yeah. was this, like, it, it is passive. Oh, the building was built magically, but it got built is, like... People, people like got down on their hands and knees and started yeah. building a <laughs> building. That's true. Hmm. Cool. So I think, well, at least for this installation of the evolution of English, we should wrap that up. Yeah, but really, really cool food for thought. I'm looking forward to the next one. Maybe in another yeah. 15 episodes or so, um, depending on... I don't know if I can wait that long. No. <laughs> Me neither. It's so cool. <laughs> Let us know what you think. If you like this episode and if you want more on the evolution of English, if we get more people saying, bring it back, then maybe that's what we'll do. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's time for our Lost in Translation moment. This week we have a Lost in Translation moment from Peter, whom we will also be interviewing next week. So Peter, let's see what he had to say. So I'm in Chengdu visiting for the first time. I'm fairly new to China and I only learn a handful of words. I learned how to say, where is this? And I could show people the address on my phone, which is Sainali. And I didn't realize how important the tones were in China at this point. So I would go up to people, ask them, where is this? And I would get a lot of confused looks. And it wasn't until I came back and someone heard me say it and they told me, actually, I was saying Zainali, which meant it's over there. So I was just basically going up to strangers and saying, it's over there, it's over there. And they were very confused. And that is my translation problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one was really good. Uh, it's true. Nali is where. And Nali is there. It's a lot like uh, Linus's from Oh yeah. A few weeks ago. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um <laughs> It's so cute because it's just, like, very innocent. It's just, it's not like, you know, sometimes they're, like, inappropriate things, but it's just, like, it's over there. (laughs) Yeah, then everybody he talked to is probably, like, it is? Why are you talking to me? Thank you so much for that story. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. That was wonderful. We really appreciate it. Thanks for sending that in for us. Yeah. So, cool. Well, I think that's pretty much everything we've got for this week. Yeah. 
let us know what you think again. Uh, we really want to hear from you. And if you have any thoughts on Romanche and you want to send us a clip of yourself speaking it, that'd be I would I would be super stoked that'd about be awesome. that. Yeah. And send us your lost in translation moments. Uh, you can go to our website and record them yourself under the contact section, or you can send a voice memo to languagenerdsdoearth at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And if you like it, go ahead and tell your friends about it. Yeah. Help them subscribe. I know some people don't podcast. Yeah. Oh, look at you verbifying a noun. <laughs> Some people don't podcast. Yeah, just bring help them podcast. Yeah, uh, and follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And we also have a blog that you can subscribe to where we write about our experiences traveling and living abroad. And on Instagram, we often also post pictures of our guests. So we've got some good stuff up there yeah and please if you have a moment please write us a review that would really help us a lot and we will be eternally grateful yeah we would love to see what you think of the show and let us know if there is anything else you'd like us to talk about our list of things to talk about is ever growing but mm -hmm. um we still would love to see if you have any ideas for something that we'd like that you'd like to hear us talk about. Yeah. And so, until next time. Yeah. Oh, our next episode. What's it about? Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about what it's like when people ask you where you're from and they don't believe you. <gasps> Ooh, mysterious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That awkward moment. Yeah. So tune in next week. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.